0: So this morning as you have been reminded we are continuing our sermon series Sacred Ordinary Life. You've been around with us in person on the radio or online you have a sense of what we have been up to this season. It's been our hope that through sermons and worship experiences that your imaginations have been sparked that your spiritual creativity has been stirred. And that you have thought more deeply about God in your daily living. So as we take up the topic, drinking tea, sanctuary and savoring, we're considering a few verses from the 34th Psalm. Listen now that by faith you may receive God's word for you this morning. I sought the Lord and he answered me, and he me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, let us pray. You will come alongside us, that you will speak to our hearts and minds, that you will let us know that you're near in meaningful ways. Speak to us as only you can. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Drinking tea. Tea and I have a complicated history, you might say. I grew up with a pitcher of tea in the refrigerator. We drank it a lot in my household, and as I grew older, it was not uncommon for me to order tea when I was out. Many years later, I was in an interview process seeking my second call. I was just Finishing up my two-year pastoral residency in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I found myself in a restaurant in Columbia, South Carolina, ordering iced tea. There were no up questions. Moments later, he brought drinks for the table, and without tasting it, I reached for a pink sugar. I put it in the glass. I stirred it up. I took a big gulp and my dining companions were amused by my grimacing face because I had sweetened the sweet tea. (laughs) You know, I learned the hard way that iced tea equals sweet tea in the Southeast. And I had lived a lot of years before moving to the East part of our country thinking that I was raised in the South. I'm a native of Houston. And I was schooled by the Easterners that, no, I wasn't raised in the South, I was raised in the West. Please, I still take issue with that. But I have a complicated relationship with tea. So I stepped back from it for a while and just went water and it was great. But just a couple of weeks ago, Michelle and I had the great pleasure of traveling with our sanctuary choir on their tour to England and to Scotland, where drinking tea is a bit more, shall we say, refined. (laughs) We picked up a new habit for us, having hot tea from time to time, because hot beverages are just what you need in August in Texas. (laughs) But there is something about sharing hot tea that makes for a special moment, a moment to be savored. I know, I sound like a commercial, but it's true. It's just something kind of cool. It could also be that we are T minus seven days to an empty nest. Yes.
1: (laughs) So every
0: moment is special. The moments leading up to that next Sunday at (laughs) 12.01, and the moments after that time when we drive all the way to Lubbock. Moments matter. We all know that life can be fast-paced. That is no secret. And that can be exciting. It can also be crazy-making. If you're a parent of young children, it's back-to-school time. College students, too, but that vibe is quite different. Especially for the younger kids, it's school clothes shopping, supply lists, school open houses. I saw a post yesterday from a mom of twins who are entering middle school, and the caption was, Death by Shopping. (laughs) And I resisted the urge to reply, For whom, them or you? For others, life revolves more around the bridge table, the driving range, the pallet and canvas, the piano keyboard, the potter's wheel, or perhaps behind the lens of a camera. Still others of us are in a stage of life where our work takes priority. Meetings, conference calls, travels, lesson plans, lots to juggle. It is hard to stop long enough to savor much of anything. But that's what we're being invited to do today. In the scripture passage I just read, the psalmist invites us to step back from whatever occupies our lives and take in the full goodness of God. I sought the Lord. God delivered me from my fears and my troubles. God created a hedge of protection for me. Now it's our turn to experience this. Taste it and see it for ourselves. Taste and see that the Lord is good is easily the most familiar of these verses. It was used in the liturgy of the early church. It is still often heard and interpreted as an invitation, a welcome to the communion meal, to the table, to the Eucharist and to the remembrance of Christ's continuing presence among us in the gifts of bread and cup until he comes again. James Mays says that the psalmist is sensitive enough to the reality of God's goodness and God's living, living presence to such a high degree that these things actually become for him objects which he is able to perceive. Perceive with his senses, tasting and seeing. Taste is used here in the sense of find out by experience. Experience for yourself the deliverance, the saving. In short, experience life as God wishes for us to experience it. Life at its fullest. Life as God intends for us all. And this is not something that the psalmist has to offer. Rather, life is something that God offers. The psalmist's advice is not to look to me, but look to God. Taste and see. Get a taste of it yourself, and you'll see. Tasting is not a passive verb but one that requires action. We cannot taste if our mouth is closed. And so, to taste anything, we must first open our mouths, which requires a willingness. So the psalmist invites us to open ourselves, to receive the goodness of God, opening not only our mouth to taste, but our minds to learn and our hearts to love. And it's not enough to accept that invitation for ourselves alone, but through our lives, to accept that invitation to teach others how rich and bountiful is the goodness of God's blessing for all who will receive it. This invitation to humankind is nothing new. It is longstanding. After each creative work is finished in Genesis 1, God declares the creation good and lavishly gives us free reign to enjoy its beauty and goodness, to savor God's creative presence. In her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, Tish Harrison Warren says, Pleasure is our deep human response to an encounter with beauty and goodness. In these moments of pleasure, of delight, of enjoyment, of awe and revelry, we respond to God impulsively with our very bodies, saying, yes, we agree, your creation is very good. Our response to God's good creation is to gravitate to things that we love because doing so helps us to focus on what gives us life. What fills our spirits? What makes us the happiest? And so for me, as I thought on this, what makes me happiest? What do I love? Aside from relationships, I thought of many other things. I have a particular mug, a coffee, now maybe tea mug. It's pottery, and it has... A peace sign on it it's a beautiful mug and i reserve it for the beach whenever i'm at the beach and so for me one of the things that came to my mind immediately was the peace mug at the ocean side because that for me reminds me of the power of god's creation the power of god's presence as the waves go in and out And as sea life perhaps can be seen, and the birds in the air, and the people on the the seashore. But then there are also other things that are more daily my existence. Brother and Raleigh, my two dachshunds. You know, not everybody's a dog person. I'm a dog person. I'm not a cat person. So for those of you out there who are cat people... I respect you. I don't agree with you, but I respect you. (laughs) The simple pleasure of lighting a candle. And I just want to encourage you in this quick moment that if you don't do that very often, consider it. Consider lighting a candle and sitting with it. Nothing else, not your phone, not music, but allow God's presence to be tangibly felt as you see that flame. And then music. My goodness, we are blessed in this place with beautiful music every single week, and between weeks, for that matter, as well. I spoke with someone just this week who lives in another state, and they told me that they have never been to Preston Hollow, but they feel like they know Preston Hollow so well because they worship with us every week and they listen to the recordings of our music program over and over and over again. They savor that experience, her word, not mine. So indulge me. Think for just a moment, and if it helps you in the process, close your eyes, but what rises to the top of your list of things that you love, things that make you the happiest, Where do you sense the power of God present in this world? I invite you not only to think of those things now, but think of them in the hours and days to come, because that is what the psalmist is inviting us to do, is to taste and see, or to reflect upon, or to savor. In our consumerist society, We spend endless energy and money seeking pleasure, but we are never truly satisfied. We try to keep it all together, and as Sarah reminded the children and all of us this morning, we cannot control it all, all the time, nor are we created to do so. Workaholism and constant connectivity fight against our ability to be present to the pleasure of the moment. So this is our challenge. Slow down. Put the device down. Look into another's eyes. Make eye contact with another human being. Have a conversation. Savor the kind of connection this will bring about, rather than the technological connections that are a part of almost all of our daily lives. In Letters to Malcolm, C.S. Lewis devotes one of his letters to the subject of pleasure. The advice he gives is to begin where you are. He writes that he once thought that he had to start by summoning up what we believe about the goodness and greatness of God, by thinking about creation and redemption, all the blessings of this life. Instead, he says, we ought to begin with the... The pleasure's at hand. For him, he writes, it was a walk by the side of a babbling brook. And for me, as I was writing this sermon, it was the breeze that captured the wind chimes outside my window. And what might it be for you? Again, an invitation to be thoughtful about the simplest simplest of things. I sometimes have heard in ministry as I have related to all kinds of people in a variety of settings. Some have said that they didn't attend church at all or they didn't attend regularly because they didn't have it all together and they felt that they needed to get their act together before they could come to church. And my goodness, I have so often often refuted that and I have said, it's absolutely where you need to be because none of the people you will meet have it all together. They may think they do, but they don't. I don't have it all together. The same applies here. We don't have to get our minds right and be in a certain posture and say certain things in order to be able to experience tasting and seeing the goodness and presence of God. Start where you are and take in the things that are your everyday Maybe for you, it's the fact that you have a, an electric garage door op- Number one, you have a garage. <laughs> Number two, you have an electric garage door opener and you don't have to get out. That's just a silly example, but it's one that matters to me as I think about practicalities. But there, there are lots of things from which to choose. So much gets in the way of these little moments of glory in our day, whatever it is that we identify. For some, anxiety and persistent worries are always playing in the background, robbing us of the ability to simply exhale. We're challenged to learn to surrender, to to give up our illusion of control and relax into beauty, relax into God's goodness, relax into the simplest things in life. To some, the church as an institution has been an impediment to this. It's had a reputation for being anti-pleasure. In reality, the church has led the way in the art of enjoyment and pleasure. New Testament scholar Ben Witherington points out that it was the church not Starbucks that created the coffee culture. (laughs) Coffee was first invented by Ethiopian monks. The term cappuccino refers to the shade of brown it used for the habits of the Capuchin monks of Italy. Coffee is born of extravagance, an extravagant God who formed an extravagant people who formed a craft out of the pleasures of roasted beans and frothed milk. In the words of one of our choir tour guides, you heard it here first. (laughs) Y'all remember that? (laughs) She she was a trip. (laughs) And maybe you didn't hear that fact first, but here first, but I found it really interesting. G.K. Chesterton saw in God... A childlike wonder. Children never tire of beauty and pleasure. They embrace enjoyment with abandon. They don't feel guilty about taking time to search for for feathers, to invent a game, or to enjoy a treat. Chesterton imagines that God revels in the pleasure of God's creation like an enthusiastic child. Because children have abounding vitality because they have spirits that are fierce and free. They want things repeated over and over and they also want things unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until they're pooped. Grown-ups are not thrilled with monotony. They're not thrilled with doing it again. But perhaps God can handle Monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, Do it again to the sun, and every evening, Do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making daisies. Savor. Throughout Christian history, Christian worship has been a profoundly sensual experience, a kind of training ground for pleasure and delight, for using the senses. The room where we worship is called a sanctuary, from the Latin sanctuarium, which is a derivative of sanctus or holy Sanctuary refers to a holy place, but because churches throughout history often been places of legal asylum, the term has also come to mean a place of shelter, a haven, or of refuge. Look around our sanctuary. You see beautiful pyramids, beautiful flowers. You hear beautiful music, You see the light of a candle. We participate together in speaking and in singing. We participate in being quiet together. When we celebrate communion, the elements of the bread and the cup are tangible, tactile elements. And architecture. Architecture adds to the experience of our senses. Remember the first time you walked into this sanctuary? Or the first time you walked into the former sanctuary, now our chapel? There are emotions wrapped up in those experiences. There is gratitude wrapped up in those experiences. Some churches have more art stained glass in the sanctuary, incense offered. There are a lot of other variants. Our tradition is more modest so as not to detract, take away from our attention on God. But there are varieties of ways that Christian worship utilizes our senses to access God's goodness, not only during worship, but in our lives as well. Christian worship trains us to recognize and respond to beauty. You may not have ever thought of it that way before, but I encourage you to consider that our worship trains us to respond to beauty. Christian worship is also different. It looks different from culture to culture. In my prior church at Westminster in Greensboro, I was responsible for local, national, and and international outreach. And I led many trips internationally, um, seven or eight to Kenya uh, alone. And we spent many times uh, participating in worship services, leading worship. I've preached there numerous times, and I've had translators uh, translating in Swahili as I preached. And that was a very interesting experience. But there was one experience in particular, one year in particular, where my friend Joseph Kisanga, a leader in the Presbyterian Church of East Africa, invited our team of 21 to divide into thirds and to go to three different village churches in a rural area north of Nairobi. We went to be their guests, but we also went at their invitation to help uh, lead worship. And I will say that I was humbled in so many ways and for so many reasons. A very small, simple structure made of tin, cement floor, and simple benches. But the the, uh, chancel area was beautifully outlined. There was silk covering the wall and chairs, and, uh, and so they made it special. There was a communion table. There was a lot of familiarity, and there was certainly familiarity in the order of worship, even if we did not know all of the language. But the part that I really wanted to highlight for you today is the fact that when the offering time came, these folks in this village proudly brought their first fruits, literally. They did not only give the shillings that they had, the money that they had. They gave eggs. They gave chickens, they gave goats, and if you can only imagine what it would be like to have people coming up the center aisle to the front of the the chancel and having all of this in front. You want to talk about a sensual experience? It was that, it was loud, it was boisterous, the children were loving it because they got to bring it up So I'm going to talk to Matthew and my other colleagues. (laughs) Let's just give it a try. It might be kind of fun. I mean, it brought so much life into the place. It was a Presbyterian church. I'm just saying. Our settings vary widely. But our experience is of the same God. And the invitation to all of God's people is the same invitation, taste and see that the Lord is good. There are a variety of flavors, don't we know? Tish Warren shares an experience that she had as well in a remote area in an East African church at communion. She says, I lifted the chalice to my lips and was surprised that instead of wine, I tasted (laughs) Coca-Cola. Wine was hard to come by. where." she says, and grape juice was non-existent. Coke was the beverage of extravagance. She writes, a missionary told me that on Christmas morning, children get two treats, meat and Coca-Cola. Coke was used in worship because these believers wanted to use the finest and the best. And indeed, that Sunday, it was an indulgent pleasure. Christ was among us. And even in the midst of poverty, worship was lavish. You know, our bodies can be a sanctuary as well. And as I was preparing this sermon, I was reminded of a song from long long ago in my life. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Sanctuary ourselves. We don't have to go to a sanctuary. God invites us to taste and to see that the Lord is good, to start where we are, to take the invitation, to savor. Open yourself. Open yourself to the goodness that God has for you. Will you pray? Oh God, our lives can be so complicated, so full of to-dos. We can be so busy that we miss the simplicity of your presence, of your love. Lord, we're faced with tragedy seemingly daily or at least weekly. So we ask, Lord, that in the face of the tragedies on the wider scale and personally, the burdens that we bear in our own lives, of health and of friends in need and a whole host of concerns that occupy our hearts and minds. Set them aside, O oh God. Give us an encouraging way to know of your presence and your nearness, so not only are we inspired, but that we can inspire others by sharing and by knowing.